Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's been a lot happening this week. How could one avoid even unless you were on retreat, somebody came out of retreat and they, they couldn't believe their, um, uh, the reality that, uh, that they found themselves in. But we're going through so much right now on top of the virus with uh, what's been happening this last, this last week or so with uh, the senseless killing of, of George Floyd and the outrage and, and response uh, and um, it's getting heated up and um, and I wanted us to explore tonight uh, both whatever however we can hold what's what's happened outside how we can hold it inside and in particular um, to look at uh, white privilege uh, not everybody falls into that category here's who's here but uh, we welcome you all, but um, I think it's really important for us to take a look at this, um, this issue of white privilege. It affects us all, white fragility, perhaps another aspect of it. And I invited uh, my dear friend, Deb Kerr, to, uh, to be with us um, and help us lead in, uh, help lead us in a discussion. She's also going to be here next week as well, because this is not something that you just kind of check off your checklist. And I want us all to, uh, to be looking at it, not only tonight, but through the week and, uh, and continue next week. Uh, to start us off, though, as we, as we uh, do, um, I want to invite Eve Decker to offer a song uh, on something relevant to this topic, I would imagine. Um, Eve, if you haven't met her before, is a wonderful singer, songwriter, Dharma teacher, um, wisdom, uh, woman of wisdom, and uh, so she can help start the evening. So Eve, are you there somewhere? Yeah, thank you, James. You Hi, everybody. Yeah, so... Um, what I'm noticing, and I wonder if some of you are noticing too, is the longing of good hearts to make positive change. Um, so many white folks that I know who have not really been um, aware of their own impact on others in certain ways are, are longing to change, are, are reading and studying and listening and uh, it's so beautiful to me the, the 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 good deep intentions and the good hearts and um so i wanted to find some old anthem of intention to um to bring in to the the good hearts and the longing for real transformation and so i found imagine the song imagine so sing with me Imagine there's no heaven 
Thanks so much, Eve. That's the song to keep in mind as we envision something better as we head in the right direction. So now uh, it gives me a, a great pleasure to introduce um, a good friend for many years, uh, Deb Kerr, who has been with us before on Thursdays at the monastery. Um, she is a uh, uh, a core teacher uh, at East Bay Meditation Center, the most diverse uh, Dharma center anywhere. Um, and she's one of the founders of East Bay Meditation Center, served on the board, um, and is intimately in involved with, uh, with that community. And I asked her to come here and help us explore uh, what's going on, and particularly, uh, I I wanted her to um, to help us explore um, white privilege, which I think is a, a key piece in this all. 
but we'll see where the conversation goes. So uh, Deb, uh, why don't you take it away? You can unmute yourself and, uh, and there you go. So first of all, thank you, James. Um, and thank you, Eve, for such a beautiful framing and for the, the lovely song. Um, really sets a great tone. Um, love your voice and your work. Um, and James, you know, this, you know, yeah, I've been at the monastery before, but you made me do that alone. Uh, and this time you've asked me to be with you. And, it, and I feel a little bit like, um, you know, being asked on stage at a rock concert to jam with the, the, the lead or something. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really an honor. And, and uh, I mean, that most, uh, most deeply, um, you've been a really important teacher of mine for a long time and, and mentor. And, um, and I also want to acknowledge what you and Jane are doing in the world in so many ways, because you're doing so much good goodness. So I'm just really grateful. <sighs> so James and I were talking about how to, how to frame this discussion tonight. And he um, recommended that I uh, give a little bit of my own background with this journey of looking at race and white privilege and how I got to be the uh, non-expert that I'm not <laughs> on it all, I suppose. Because um, I, I was, wow, I was saying to him before we started um, tonight that um, I taught on this subject the, uh, last Sunday night at Alameda Sangha and um, had a different topic prepared and realized kind of late in the game that I couldn't do that topic with um, the events of the week that had been happening. So, and I know that I've learned some things on this journey, but it's still, um, I come up against my own white fragility so hard sometimes and just have, have doubt about whether there's anything I can say that will really, um, mean anything or have value. So just feeling, um, you know, that we're all, um, we're all learning on this path and, and it's fine wherever we are. Um, and, and we can have faith in that and use the tools of the Dharma to help us keep a clear mind and an open heart as we, um, as we move into this territory. So, um, this path for me really started in Oakland, which is where I was born and raised and still live. And um, I have really deep roots here. My two of my grandparents were born in Oakland. Both my parents were. Um, and I love this city and I love the diversity that's been here. Um, when my partner and I were raising our daughter, we made the conscious choice to uh, stay in Oakland and use the public schools for her education. Um, and so issues of race have been around the periphery in my life for a long time. Um, but I realized that, um, well, I'm going to leave what I realized till later on, on that score. Um, so skipping ahead through my, uh, through my Dharma practicing, which started in 1991 with James's beginning class, um, and uh, then extended through lots of spirit rock programs and community Dharma leader training and the founding of East Bay Meditation Center. Um, and it really wasn't until I got involved with trying to found East Bay Meditation Center that um, I started to get 
some, some serious education about what it means to be a person of color in this society, what it means to be a white person. Um, we wanted East Bay Meditation Center to be diverse from the beginning. And the people of color who um, founded the center with us really pointed that, it really shared their suffering of not feeling seen and not feeling safe in the predominantly white uh, sanghas that were um, the largest representation in the convert Buddhist world at that time. Um, and that's where I first heard the word white privilege, um, where I first heard the word used in that way, uh, white supremacy. And, you know, I just saw my own internal reactions to that, which was uh, to shrink, to um, feel like suddenly I was on uncharted territory and it was a place where the rules of the game had somehow changed and I didn't know what they were. And so there was this feeling of kind of being out of my realm and um, not knowing what I had to offer. Um, and around the same time, then I took uh, CDL three training, which uh, James was uh, um, was really helpful in helping me find my way into that program. And and in CDL three, we um, we started to deal very uh, I don't know. It was you know the issues of race were just really in our face. The, the um, people of color in that training cohort um, were, were able to express their suffering in ways that were just tremendously touching. And um, I'm so grateful to them for allowing us to get that vision into um, some of the really deeply troubling things that are present in our world. And, and again, you know, from my perspective as a middle-class um, heterosexual white woman, I was clueless. I had no idea how I could add to the conversation, how I could be an ally, what it even meant. Um, and the only thing I could do at that point was to stay, stay in the room. That was the only thing I could put my finger on that might be helpful. Um, and to have some sense of mindfulness and compassion while doing that. Um, and that turned out to be enough in that moment to uh, form a bond with Shahara Godfrey, who later asked me at another CDL um, retreat to uh, be a visible ally for her when we did a, a fishbowl ceremony where the people of color were going to be sharing um, some of their really deeply held suffering. And she said, I, I was... I was so moved because I didn't feel like I had done anything. And she just wanted me to be in a position of eyesight where she could see me in the front row around this fishbowl um, as a face she could trust. And um, that's a moment that will stick with me forever. Um, okay. So moving ahead, then um, being involved in EBMC through the years, we started doing trainings called white and awakening in Sangha and in about 2014 or 2015, I took that training for the first time. And then for the next couple of years, I was part of the teaching team uh, for those next courses. And somewhere along in there, um, I encountered the teachings of Peggy McIntosh on white privilege. And um, there's a very famous piece, which many of you I'm sure are aware of, 
um, unpacking the invisible backpack of white privilege. And this light bulb really went on. It was like, oh, wow. It, you know, my, my life has been so privileged. Um, yeah, I've, I've rowed my own boat. I've done my own work. I've, you know, achieved things on my own. But there's been so many tailwinds behind me as a white person that, um, that people of color just don't have. And, um, and, I don't, I, and I have the choice, therefore, um, to look at this issue or not on a daily basis, whereas people of color don't have that choice. It's always being uh, thrown in their faces and they're feeling made unsafe and, and often being harmed. So um, then I read the book uh, by Debbie Irving, Waking Up White and Finding Myself in, this, in the Story of Race. And, um, and this second light bulb went on, which is I was no longer able to distance the problem of racism from myself. Um, when we were raising our daughter, she had a very diverse group of friends and it was lovely but there was still some part of me that saw um, the people of color among her friends as having that problem of race. And it wasn't quite my problem. And at some point in doing this work and this learning, um, this big, 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 big light bulb went off that it really is my problem. Um, and this epiphany, which, um, which is really uh, sad um, in the light of the, uh, the George Floyd killing, which is that when, when somebody's being oppressed and they're on the ground and, and somebody else has their boot in that person's back, the person who's on the ground with the boot in their back cannot lift the boot off themselves. They may do part of the struggle and they may be able to make some effect, but it's really the person who's putting their full weight on the boot that has to lift that off. And if I'm not part of educating myself, and then at best I'm standing around watching while that boot is still being applied. And at worst, I'm still putting my weight behind it in some way. So it, it must be white people who do a huge amount of the work of eliminating white supremacy um, and bringing racial justice. Okay, so, uh, you know, in the present moment, um, I'm just a person struggling with this, like many of us are. I feel um, it's, a, it's, such a, it's such an um, illustration of what it means to practice something. Because with my own white conditioning, um, I make headway and I feel um, really invested in this work. And then I kind of slide off and forget. And then something happens and I feel the investment again. Um, and then it kind of slides off and I have to come back again and again. And in some ways I feel like it's kind of the beginning of how many of us were when we learned to meditate where, you know, we bring the mind to um, the present moment, to the awareness, to the heart space, and it slides off and we bring it back and it slides off and we bring it back again and again and again. 
And so it really is a practice. And, um, you know, to quote James, um, we need to celebrate the moments of waking up, celebrate the moments of, you know, like this week, I've really been struggling with some aspects of my own white fragility. Like, what do I have to offer? I, you know, I don't, uh, just immense doubt was coming up. And, and, and so trying to explore that and seeing it for what it was, and can I then celebrate, oh, this is a moment of recognizing what's here now. Um, and then just a couple more things, um, that in this work, joy is possible. Um, and probably necessary, <laughs> I might add. Um, I had the good fortune of having a two-day uh, teaching from Ruth King uh, three or four years ago. And uh, she makes you get up and dance in the middle of doing this work. And I mean, puts on, you know, really um, get down soul music to dance to. And, um, and you know, just it's just like, it just like clears the, clears the mind and heart space and um, allows for more capacity to then come back and do the work. Um, and, you know, East Bay, the state of East Bay Meditation Center at this point, it's been a really long, um, really long path, but the center is flourishing. And there are moments now that I've, that I've experienced in being with, um, in being with what's what we call the teacher Sangha there, um, we have the the core teachers. There are eight of us, but then there are this. There's this really large group of um, many, many what we call community teachers who teach various classes in the various sitting groups that are part of the center. And the teacher sangha meetings are when we do some trainings and and stuff and get together. Very diverse group, and people are able to be so open and trusting and loving with each other. It's just, um, it's palpable and it feels like we get glimpses of uh, what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community. And that's extremely joyful. It's like, oh, oh, all this work. And yes, this really is possible. Um, Someone is telling me about seeing seeing two signs juxtaposed last week in Alameda. One was a Black Lives Matter sign and the one next to it was end white silence. And I was like, that's my current favorite slogan. Um, Because I am not personally to blame for racial injustice, but I do have a responsibility to end it that is personal um and that i see being inextricably wound up now with my dharma practice with how i love in the world i've done um eight month-long retreats uh quite a few of them with james as one of the teachers I've done a lot of loving kindness practice and it's a practice that has changed my life in incredible ways. And when I look at the world around me and I want to apply that teaching, 
then I need to look at where, at where this love needs to go. Um, and this is a really big place for it to go these days. So I'm going to stop there. Um, and uh, I think the plan is to open it just for a few comments, and then we'll do maybe some exercises together. So thank you for listening. Thank you. Maybe before we open up, could I ask you um, something to, uh, I'm curious about. Through all of this work, and I know you've been so committed to, to growing around this work, um, how, how uh, can, you, can you say how you might be, how you might see things differently now than, than when you were starting? I know you say you're still learning and fumbling around, but what's, what's been the impact in, in learning and exploring and growing and fumbling and learning more? I reflect on white privilege all the time. Um, and um, when I am interacting with a person of color, I really bring that consciousness to the fore, although I don't necessarily talk about it, but just to um, try to be extra respectful and friendly. Um, you know, um, I try to smile at people on the street, especially people of color. And um, that's not something I used to do. So there's that. It's a, it's a really small thing. Um, but, you know, really it's, the, it's that shift from, you know, it's, it's the destruction of the myth of the United States as a shining city on a hill that, I mean, I love my country tremendously and always have and always will. Um, but it's not equal for everybody. And I really get that now. And I get how I have benefited from the fact that other people um, are in a one down position. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the first huge thing. And then the second huge thing is, is that uh, no longer being able to make it their problem. Seeing that, that truly, um, I mean, you know, not only that it's, that it's my problem in that I want to work to end uh, racial suffering, um, but that my freedom is bound up in other people being free. You, you know, um, white culture, I mean, I, many, of, many of us probably have the experience of remembering back to, I don't know, high school or junior high when the black kids were the cool kids and we, we wanted to identify with them. We wanted to maybe even be black because they had the cool stuff going on, right? And it's, and, you know, really, what's the difference between black culture and white culture? Black culture has had to be community-based, has had to be open-hearted, has had to be open-handed. Sorry about the dogs. <laughs> um, 
And white culture is, is so much the opposite of that. You know, we're, hang on, we're gonna just take care of that problem. <laughs> These dogs across the street are quite diligent when anyone is walking a dog. Uh, otherwise they're pretty quiet. But anyway, so, um, you know, it's just seeing the fact that, that, that white culture has had to be so damped down in, some, in so many ways. We're not connected in, in community. Um, I had the good fortune to go on a trip to the Peruvian Amazon in 1992. And we, were, we visited some villages that were like dirt poor people. Um, I mean, they had enough to eat, but they had almost no material possessions. But it was so joyful, their lives. And it was because of this sense of community. And I, and, I, and, it, and I reflected on that, like, oh, here I am, this white person from America, and I am so much more materially advantaged than these folks. But I feel like the impoverished one because I don't have that community. And it kind of planted a seed in me about what is it that makes community? Um, and how do, you, how do you get it? And I think I'm starting to see some of those answers now so um thank you yeah yeah a good way to to start off um we can open the conversation just we're, we're going to take a few comments uh or questions or whatever you want to raise and i should uh let you know now that our intention at some point is to have you um explore your own personal uh, reality, because this is more than just listening to somebody else, but really going in uh, deeper and, and being honest with um, what you can learn or have learned. Um, so just be, be prepared. And I, I hope that people uh, do show up, just like Deb has uh, said, that was the big thing for her, to just show up. Um, so first we'll just open to some general comments. Uh, if you'd like, you can raise your hand by going into the participants uh, icon and, uh, and hit that uh, raise, raise hand and uh, can call on you. Um, we'll see if there's anything that, that comes up for people who wanna ask or comment or share your own. Um, struggles or learnings around James I'm seeing Cecile's hand up oh. on her screen oh great oh are you the are you a host oh great no I didn't make I should make you the host too um Cecile actually let's see where I went Cecile are you there oh was she raising her hand or um uh yeah I thought I thought oh, okay. so Okay, yeah. I, I, I'm okay. I was looking for digitally. Uh, right now, she was raising okay. it on the screen. Okay, Cecile, why don't you go then and um, unmute yourself? Is that was that uh, Cecile Lenneman? Do you want me yeah. to unmute you here? I'll I'll unmute you here. Let's see. Huh. Mm -hmm. the, the new Zoom rules are that people have to unmute themselves. 
Okay, you know, do you know how to unmute yourself? If you uh, go over to the, to that icon over in the left-hand corner where there's a, a microphone, can you do that? There you go. Did you want to say something? Uh, it's not coming through. Somehow it's not coming through. If you want to write something in the chat box, then maybe you can do that. But um, how about, uh, we'll see if we can come back to you. If anybody else, you can use that, your, that icon uh, if you want to raise your hand uh, in, in the uh, participants box. So that way it doesn't matter what screen you're on. Diane, hi. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, um, Deb, Deborah, for what you're sharing. Um, you know, I just had this image on this topic of um, having a door that you open. And, you know, as white people, we get to choose to open that door and to look in at what's really happening or not. And um, that in itself is a privilege, right? That, you know, we can, we can not look in and see what's happening. And then, you know, I just see this image of like, like things flooding out of that door that could keep our attention away from what we really need to see in the back of that room. So, you know, and I've experienced it myself. I've seen it when I've seen, you know, people sharing with other people, white people sharing with other white people or, or people of color sharing with white people about something they're not seeing. You know, and it, some of the things that can flow by is like, we can get tangled up in, um, you know, am I okay? Well, did I really mean that? Or, you know, all sorts of like questioning, am I a good person? And I think this is white fragility, right? Um, am I, you know, proving that I'm good or, or that I didn't mean whatever just happened. And all of that kind of sickness around our response keeps us from seeing what's in the back of the room that we really need to see, which is the systems, which is the, you know, the everyday experience of people. And um, so when you share Deborah about like, it's kind of like meditation, you gotta keep bringing your practice back. It's kind of when those moments happen and you and open you the door, I just feel like, you know, I wanna keep focusing on on not guilt, not on all these things, but focusing on what is it I need to see here? How can I help? How can I be part of this solution? And that will get more done than us getting caught up in all the other things in the room, which are basically our kind of, you know, infection around it, right? I don't know if this is making sense, but that's the vision that came to me uh, when I uh, was meditating and thinking about how do I approach this? It's so important. Um, I don't have to open that door. But when I open that door, am I just going to like, it's all going to be about me and my emotions? Or am I going to see what's there? And I'm going to see how I can help. So. Yeah, great. Thank you. That's, uh, it's a lovely analogy. And I think very apt. And um, two, two comments come to mind. First one is, 
The first one is um, your emotions also have a place there. And so it's not an either or, and they need to also be acknowledged and, and uh, taken care of. And the practice has definite tools for that. Um, and then the second thing is, um, I, I loved what you said about kind of having this laser focus on what, what is it that I need to see that, I'm, that I may not be seeing because of all this other sort of white fragility stuff getting in the way or whatever. Um, and what helps me to, it, it's like I find I need, um, I need a touchstone of motivation to do this work. And this week it's George Floyd. Um, his suffering and the casual way that he was killed and it being so descriptive of the system. Um, before that, it was a, a touch point I had with um, one, um, my daughter's boyfriend many years ago. Um, he was, he is mixed race, African-American and white. And they were traveling in Europe together and I was traveling with a friend and we met up in Zurich for a week and did some traveling together. And the first thing that I noticed, and he had dreadlocks at that point. Um, uh, and we were walking through the, the Zurich train station and several times white boys came up to him thinking that he was going to be selling drugs. So that was the first sort of like, oh man. And then the next day we were up on this mountain and um, there was a, a tram car coming by the trail and my daughter's boyfriend went out and put a penny on the track as a car was about to come so that it would, you know, get smashed and whatever. He was quite playful. And the conductor on those cars sits right in the front. And it was this white young man who was the conductor of the car. And as he came by us and saw my daughter's boyfriend and the dreadlocks and everything, he went like this. And it was such a stunningly violent gesture. And, my daughter's boyfriend just turned and walked away. And I, and I just went, over, I just went over and put my arms around him. And um, so, so we get these touch points. That was two days in this young man's life. And I got to witness a little bit of, I'm sure what he had to put up a lot. And, and so I, I can, I can bookmark that in my mind and my heart and let that be, the motivator that keeps me not focused on my own stuff. Although sometimes that needs focus too. And I, and I don't mean to uh, demean that at all because we do need to do that internal work of seeing our own goodness as James is often pointing out, seeing the goodness inside, despite the conditioning that also has all this weird racial stuff in there that comes up from time to time and that we need to work with. So um, Diane, thank you very much for that, that comment. Thank you. Well, let's see. Um, so it's about 22. Uh, uh, is... So I... Um, I'm just wondering, shall we, uh, shall we break into group or um, what, do you, what do you think? 
Um, we could. It might be. Uh, it might be okay not to too. Um, I don't know. You, well, know. you know, since we're going to be here next week, we're going to be here together. Maybe we can um, just open it up to just general comments right right now, uh, and not and not press the uh, try to compress the uh, yeah the triad. So we can because uh, it would be great to just hear your uh, your reflections as well. So. Uh, why don't we just open it up and again, if if you want to make a comment or uh, or ask um, Wendy, Wendy Patterson. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you for your um, presentation or remarks, Deborah. Um, Wow, so so much to say, but I I won't take a lot of time. But so I work in an agency that's predominantly people of color, and it's led by an African American man. And um, this past year, I was in a, uh, a group where I was the only white person with about six people of color. And um, you know, I I think of myself as like I've done quite a bit of eliminating racism work, and you know, blah blah blah. <laughs> And, um, and it, anyway, at one point, some people got upset with me for something I said that they felt was racist. And even with, you know, my experience, I still responded defensively, but even more than defensively, I was, I was completely taken off guard and didn't even understand what they were saying. And it took a long time. And luckily, um, some of them were, you know, willing to talk with me about it. And, and, um, but I kind of just had to stop trying to understand it in a way and just accept what they were saying. And then it sort of helped to let some understanding come in um, slowly. And it's, oh, I guess part of what I'm saying is it's, it's appalling how unaware we can be even you know, I've done quite a bit of work. I've done a lot of reading and all this stuff. And still, like, you can just stumble into situations where you're clueless, you know. And um, one of the things I took away from it is I was like, because the comment I made, I think that if a person of color had said it, they wouldn't have uh, been offended. But coming from a white person, um, I work in the mental health field. So it had to do with working with communities of color. And um, one of the things I took away from it is like, I can forget I'm white, but they never forget I'm white. And <laughs> that was kind of a revelation to me. And that alone is white privilege, right? That you can just forget you're white and I'm just acting in the world. Um, but that you're always perceived as, uh, you know, part of the oppressor because that's the whole um, systemic racism. So anyway, I'm interested in your comments if you want to say anything. Well, very well put, first of all. And yeah, you know, um, at East Bay Meditation Center, um, we have these agreements for multicultural interaction. And one of them is step up and step back. And that um, really plays out in terms of race because white people tend to dominate the room um, and, you know, have lots of very erudite things to say or so we think and 
and we often, if we're in a mixed group, we need to take a, a back seat a little bit and allow space because if once we dominate the space, that power can't, it's, it's difficult for that power to be shared. Um, so, and um, yeah, and you know, uh, in, in the letter that James sent out from Ruth King, um, I think she says, let me just see here. Um, oh, where is it? Well, I think can't find it, but I think she says something like, um, you know, you may feel like you have to kiss up to black people sometimes. And it can, it can sort of feel that way, like that you're being almost um, too passive or something, but it's necessary because it's necessary for us to give up some power in order for it to be shared. I, th I think that's what it boils down to. Um, and, and we, you know, we're going to make mistakes and, because the conditioning is so thick and we don't, we can't automatically put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Um, so yeah, that's, um, and then just to forgive ourselves, you know, to not take it personally. I mean, Ruth King, you know, has her, take on the three characteristics of existence. It ain't personal, it ain't perfect, and it ain't permanent. And if I wait till I'm perfect in doing this work, it's never going to get done. And so I have to take the risk of allowing myself to fail, which, you know, we, we white folks don't like to do either, right? And, um, and let myself be out there trying to do the work as best I can. Um, so, yeah, thank you for your comments. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to uh, add to that, you know, it's, it's, it's scary to, to make mistakes and think that you might have offended somebody with a, a microaggression that you have no idea. And um, uh, what, I've, what I've come to after making a number of mistakes, Deb was, I was leading CDL Three with her, uh, with Tara and I led CDL three, and you know there were there were some hot moments there. And CDL two actually was the hottest I've ever been around this. And uh, I was making mistakes left and right. And when I when it really got to me, I'd rather learn than not make mistakes. Then you know I'm in the game to learn. So. Um, as long as I'm coming from goodwill, and actually I even, well, I think at CDL3, when that first thing, when at the very beginning, it, there was a, a, an incident and I said, hey, I really want to learn. Uh, um, so please, um, without educating me or feeling that it's up to you to educate me, but if I make a mistake, please let me know so I, so I can learn. And that's a, that's a big stretch that it's okay to, to make a mistake and you, uh, to not be perfect. And because you want to learn more than you want to, you know, not, not be seen as, as making a fool of yourself. Uh, and, 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 uh, that's really appreciated, uh, by others. So. 
Yeah, and actually, just one more comment um, to uh, about what Wendy said. Um, you know, you alluded to the fact that some people were willing to talk to you afterwards and and help you see what was um, offensive or harmful in what you had said, and that's such a gift. Um, and again, coming from white culture, where we immediately, if we perceive ourselves as having made a mistake or um, not being perfect at something, we want somebody to show us how to do it. And so the, so one of the initial responses to people of color can be, oh, won't you please help me? And it's not their job to educate us. It's our job to educate us. And when they do um, give us the generosity of, uh, of feedback and help in that way, um, it's really important to take it in and acknowledge it and appreciate the generosity of it because it's exhausting. If you're on the receiving end of microaggressions and outright harm um, for a lot of your life, and then you're also asked to then start educating people about that on, on top of that, it's exhausting. And there've been lots and lots of studies that have shown that um, the health uh, detriment of, um, of that. So, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Any any other um, hands, comments? Don't be shy. Yes, uh, Joan, Joni. Thank you so very much for your thoughtful comments and ideas. Um, as someone who processes by talking. Um, I've noticed I really struggle in um, mixed ethnicity groups because um, because I process by talking, and in a way I I'm, I I kind of have to unlearn things about how how to find my voice because I, I was also raised to be a feminist and um, and and told it was important for me to find my voice. And so I, I really feel like I'm struggling right now how to, um, I mean, part of me just feels like I just shouldn't say anything um, in certain times and places. And that's probably right. But I also don't know when it's, when's the right time to speak up and, um, so it's this funny, it's this funny situation I find myself in, you know, of, of having something say I'm in a class with um, mixed uh, ethnic, in a mixed ethnic group. And I, and I might want to make a comment and, um, and I've been, you know, schooled, like you talk too much. And so I want to step back. And I almost feel like I need to have my own private class where I sit and talk to myself to figure out what I'm thinking. Um, because that's how I learn. And, and, you know, again, I go round and round, like, okay, as a woman, do I, do I, if there are a bunch of men, do I get to speak up also? You see, there's the, an interesting conundrum. Um, yeah. So just putting it out there. I don't know if anyone else struggles with some of these issues there that I am. Any comments, Deb? Oh, yeah. So, you know, you're pointing at uh, finding your voice as a feminist. And um, 
that's you know pointing to the intersectionality right where there are different isms and we as women have been um, on the less advantaged end of of the gender spectrum and you finding your voice um, in that regard may be a very different thing than how you need to show up in a in a mixed race group and whenever there's there's intersectionality like that it's a different skill set so um, you know the the thing I'd recommend is to take a class with all white people working on just race and how to show up for that issue. And then you'll have the processing space and time to find your own voice or start to on this issue as separate from the feminist issue perhaps, and then eventually be able to integrate them. Thanks for that comment. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Let's see. Well, uh, it's near near the end, and before we have a um, end with a uh, one more song from Eve, I think if you do have it, um, it occurred to me since you are going to be here next week, um, uh, you can't be here the following week, but but maybe in, in uh, after that you might come back. Uh, wondering about what we can practice between now and next week that we can all keep in mind um, as an ongoing practice. You know, I, I'm, I'm a great believer in more than just hearing a Dharma talk and uh, having some inspiring entertainment or something like that, that they can, it, it, can, it can stir us to, to look at our life through a particular lens. And then, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'll come up with something if you don't. But uh, but if you if you can think of what what might be good for us all to play around with or explore uh, as as we go through this week, and maybe we can check in uh, check in next week when we come back. Anything that comes to mind? Any practices that you've done that you've uh, found helpful that you might suggest for us? Um. Well, we could go, you could go in two directions here. One would be to um, allow yourself to process the grief around, um, you know, George Floyd's death or some other uh, incident or incidents of racial violence, um, to allow that suffering in and allow it to touch you. That's one direction you might go. Another direction would be to see what comes up when you hear the words white privilege. How does that land on your mind and heart? What happens? Is there a contraction? Is there perhaps excitement? Oh, I'm going to learn something. Is there shock and avoidance? Um, you know, what, just what comes up when you hear the words white privilege? Or um, just to reflect on what's hard and scary about talking about racism what's hard and scary about talking about racism. And, and if you want, I can put those in a chat box while we're, um, while Eve is singing perhaps. Um, Great, yeah. right. And there's, there's a question uh, somebody asks, is EBMC still doing unlearning racism workshops for white people? Yeah, 
Yeah, um, usually every year uh, in the spring, like from January until about this time, it's a five, it has been done as a five month course. Um, sometimes there are two courses, there's a more introductory one, and then there's a uh, longer and more involved one. Um, so you can uh, go to the website and, uh, and just um, send a message and ask when the next one's going to be offered. Probably not till January, but I'm not sure about that right now. Um, and actually, James, I want to talk to you about um, uh, something I'm thinking of doing, um, like sort of a book clubby kind of thing um, in the next weeks and months that might that, that we could open to this group and uh, for people who wanted to do that on a different night of the week. Um, oh, beautiful! By the yeah. way, here I, I I have here this this book, uh, Ruth. Ruth King, Mindful of Race. I know it's a mirror image one, but uh, I highly recommend that. And I put a few different um, uh, resources in the, the newsletter. I, if you're not getting the newsletter, the weekly announcements, just go to insightberkeley.org and put on, uh, add to your name and address and uh, email address and we'll, we'll send the, I send the announcements and uh, did put a few resources there. Uh, but uh, before Eve go, uh, uh, comes on, I, just following up from what Deb said, just as a way to anchor it, I invite all of us to just um, connect inside for a moment. And let's explore this for ourselves this week. This is the time to do it. And as Deb suggested perhaps noticing the feelings that come up for you that you're, you've been perhaps processing when you see, you know, today was the uh, uh, memorial uh, uh, service and, uh, and all the, the protests and everything that's come up. Just notice the feelings that come up. Notice the feelings that come up and maybe learn to hold them. And um, says, uh, what is so hard or scary about talking about racism? What comes up for you? Be really honest with yourself this week. It's a time for us to learn and grow together. Or those words, white privilege. something that I find is a practice for myself. You probably, many of you have heard me talk about putting on your perspective helmet when you put it on to really try to understand another's reality that might be very different from, from yours. Um, I just play around with that this week. It's 
just what, whatever one appeals to you, keep it in your consciousness. This is the time you're going to be seeing it on the news every day. If you look at the news, this is the time to really explore what goes on for you inside around this topic and be really honest and open and vulnerable if you can, and maybe even speak to friends about what goes on for you. And we'll, uh, we'll come back next week and explore again. So thank you so much, Deb, for helping us um, lead uh, the discussion for this. Thanks for letting me on stage to jam with you, James. <laughs> you can play lead guitar anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking about guitar, Eve, uh, mm. can you uh, share with us the song? I'll do the dedication of merit. <clears throat> May the merit of our practice together be for the benefit of all beings. May every living being, our minds as one and radiant with light. Share the fruits of peace with hearts of goodness, luminous and bright. If people hear and see how hands and hearts can find in giving unity, may our minds awake to great compassion, wisdom, and to joy. May kindness find reward. May all who sorrow leave our grief and pain. May this boundless light meet the darkness of our sacred night. Because our hearts are one, this world of pain turns into paradise. May all become compassionate and wise. May all become compassionate and wise. Uh, I just want to remind you um, before we we go uh, in, in that chat box that uh, next Thursday, there is that um, webinar Thursday at 4 p.m. Uh, with Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, Van Jones, that free webinar. You go to winwisconsin.org. Uh, also on that same site, winwisconsin.org, you can go to um, that Buddhists um, help get out the vote with all your uh, all the suggestions there, and there's also the uh, in the chat box the the Donna uh, the PayPal and, and Venmo, which is much appreciated. So uh, beyond the uh, in addition to the dedication song that you just sang, let's dedicate our time together. So many feelings that are happening 
in this country and now and around the world. May, may we share any good that we create here together uh, for the, the awakening of all. May all see through their confusion, share their love well, come to the end of suffering, and know true happiness and, and peace. <laughs>